good morning. It's really good to be able to be with you like usual and thankful that we have people that want to worship God together. Um, I don't always say this before lessons that, that I present, but if I say anything today that, that you feel like you have questions about, you want to talk about further, then I'd love to talk with you about those things. I don't think there's going to be anything that someone here just really, really disagrees with, but I could be wrong. I could say something or make a connection to something that, that you really aren't sure about. You're not sure if it's there. And if that's the case, then um, I, w- I would like to talk to you about that. Not because I want to prove to you that I'm right, because I want to hear what you have to say to actually be able to look at scripture the right way. So uh, if that does come up, I would appreciate that. And uh, you would not only be helping me, but it would be great to, to help each other in that way. That's really what we're here to do. We're here to praise God, but we are here to encourage each other. I think it's such a blessing that we have a, a group of people, not just here, but there are groups of people that we can worship with no matter where we are. And to think that that was in God's wisdom to, to actually put people around that want to worship where we could not only fulfill some obligation to praise God, but that we could actually encourage each other and teach each other while doing so. Is, is pretty amazing, and just to, to see how his handiwork looks today is, is awesome. So we're going to be in John 19, or John 18, 19, and 20 primarily today. Last week, Richard read for the Lord's Supper, and he read John 19. And it reminded me of something that I thought about several years ago. And there's one key phrase that Pilate uses that, that I want to look at in a little bit. And it's the phrase where he he brings Jesus out. He says, behold, your king. And I always grew up thinking that he was just being sarcastic with that. But I don't know if that's true. Pilate seemed to have some fear and reverence for who Jesus was, although he didn't understand that. And I don't think he actually believed Jesus was above him. He, He really did look at him as being something special to the Jews, at least. So when he says, behold, your king, which we're going to look at in a second, I don't know if he's meaning that sarcastically or if he really means, hey, this is your king and you're wanting to put him to death. A few minutes ago, that's who we were just remembering was, was Jesus Christ, our king, and that he was put to death. Not because he deserved it, not because he was unrighteous, not because he made someone mad because he treated them dirty in some business deal or anything like that, but um, he was put to death because they despised him for who he was. Because he was the light shining in darkness, and the darkness hates the light. So they put him to death. So that's what we're going to look at today. The idea of Jesus being king is, is crucial for all of us. If we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to believe that we are part of this spiritual kingdom, this kingdom of God, then we have to recognize Christ as our king and our Lord. Not just some king that is off somewhere that has no rule or authority over us, but a king of our lives that rules our very lives. Not that, he, not that he makes us or forces us to take every step, but that he controls the steps we take, that we look to him as the authority for how we walk and how we live. So the idea of Jesus being king is, is crucial, and it's not something that is unique and just came up all of a sudden. Just like Kelly read this morning from Jeremiah, it was prophesied long ago and promised there would be a king that would come from the the lineage of David, and that his kingdom would last forever. It would be eternal, and that he would rule and be a king in a way that that was like no other. 
and that he would have some characteristics that were unlike some other leaders of the day. For instance, in Jeremiah, he talks about some other people that were shepherding and how they were doing so terribly. And, and then we see that Jesus is the good shepherd that actually cares for his sheep and lays down his life for his sheep. And we see that as a king, there's some, some certain attributes of him in his kingship that, that really are, are very different from any king that has ever been, or even the idea of king. I mean, it, it's unfamiliar to us to think of having a king, or it is for me at least. I, I don't know what that's like. I don't think the president is a king. Um, I don't know how people would get away with mocking the presidents that we have if he were a king. You can't do that to kings or queens. They are revered, almost holy. In our country, we don't, we don't have anything like that. There's, there's no concept of like someone's above me that behind their back I can't be like, what a joke. Or I can't say, okay, fine, I guess I'll do that. No, I mean, we do that with everybody. We do that with our parents. I'm not, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how we, we get away with it. Uh, we do that with, well, sometimes. We do that with our parents. We do that with our bosses. We do that with, with uh, our governors, our, our mayors. We do that with, with everybody that's over us. All the way up to what we say is the highest office in the land, the president. And sometimes the presidents do things that are worthy of being mocked. <laughs> but the fact that we can do that, and there can be parody and satire and all of that, it just shows that we don't know at all what it's like to live in a land and be under a king. Because a true king rules with, I guess what they would say, like an iron fist, right? Where they are above all reproach, above all other authority, that you can't even question them. But that's not how Jesus is as king. And we're going to see some of that here in John 18 and 19. Let's go ahead and start in John 19. And we'll just read beginning of verse 1. And we're going to go through verse 16. And then as we make some points, we're going to back up and notice some other things that that are, are brought out in chapter 18 and 19 uh, about Jesus as he's presented before the people. Let's begin in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over you, over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. 
Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. You see how Jesus is portrayed here? Jesus is portrayed, and when I say that, I don't mean in some fictional work. I mean, this is how Jesus is presented to the people. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been spat on. It didn't say he's been spat on here, but we, we know that from other accounts. They flog him. They twist a crown of thorns. They make a crown with, with thorns they twisted together, and they put it on his head. I doubt they put it on there gently. I doubt they just placed it on his head. And the thorns that we should think of aren't like the little thorns from a rose bush or anything. They're, they're thorns that would easily pierce the skin and would, would just be a vicious thing to, to put on someone's head. And so then they put a purple robe on him and they mock him. And they say, hail, king of the Jews. Now, these people are people that are, are soldiers of the Roman government that are doing this. And they're just mocking him, mocking him. And, and, and they're, the idea that there's a king of these Jews that are underneath the Romans is just silly to them. Oh, you have a king? Okay, well, let's, this is how we're going to treat your king. And these are the people who delivered him over. The Jews delivered him over. But so many people respected him and were following him. And they were looking towards a king. I can, I can only imagine that that most people of this day knew that Israel wanted to be a nation of their own. They were looking for a king. Okay, well, here's your king. Look at this man that we can slap on the face and put a crown of thorns on and mock him. So they bring him out, and he's wearing the robe and the, and the crown. And he says, behold the man. So it's basically, basically saying, look at him. See him. And when they see him, what they do is they respond by saying, crucify him. They have no pity on him. They have no consideration for what he's been through. That's how much they despise him. So they, and then Pilate says, well, you take him and crucify him yourselves. And, they, and they, then if you back up to chapter 18, it's pretty clear that they're not able to do, to carry out the punishment that they want to see done. They want to see him crucified. And they're not able to do that. That's a, that's a Roman thing. If they wanted to punish him according to their law, they could do something to him. They could possibly take him out and stone him if they wanted to. They wanted to make this brutal. They wanted to put Jesus on the cross and have him suffer. So they needed the Romans to do that. And so they said, he made himself the son of God, and so he needs to die. According to their law, he should die for this. Now, he beca- now Pilate becomes afraid because of the idea of of him saying that he's the son of God. And so he goes back into him and he's asked where he's from. I assume that he's wanting to either A, see if Jesus is is a fulfillment of some prophecy that he's heard about, knowing that the coming Messiah was was going to be from some some place. My my guess is he's just, if Jesus says, I'm from heaven, or I'm I'm from God, then he's just going to really be nervous about that. But he goes and he asks Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus doesn't answer him. And so Pilate himself points to the authority. I I have authority to release you or to crucify you. You're not going to answer me? And Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you. You're you're nothing. Now, he's not that disrespectful. But, I mean, essentially, that's that's what he's saying to Pilate. You're, You're nobody. 
And you know what? The person that delivered me over to you is the one that has the greater sin anyway. Then it says that Pilate sought to release him. I don't know. I can't imagine what's going on in Pilate's head. And I'm not going to try to be sympathetic towards him or anything. At the end of the day, he washed his hands as if he was trying to wash his hands clean of the situation. And delivered Jesus over to be crucified. But he wants to release him, it says. And the Jews cry out more and more that if you release him, then you're an enemy of Caesar. Because he's made himself to be equal or even above Caesar. So I think at this point, Pilate knows that there's nothing he can do. It's not like he's a believer in Jesus. But he might consider him a righteous man that's unworthy of this death. But there's nothing he can do because if he goes along with, with what he would maybe want to do, which is release him, he's going against his own government. So he can't do that. And really, he probably just wants to keep the peace. I mean, there's a lot of Jews. I mean, he he's, has a hard task, really. I mean, this is the, the highest concentration of Jews, especially during this time. They have the, the biggest feast of the year during this time. And, and they're all there gathered together. And they're all, not every single person that's in the city, but you have this big mob shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And you know that they're going to take it up the chain if they can. If he doesn't crucify him like they want him to, they're going to complain and cause a riot. So then Pilate's going to be in trouble. So he brings him out and he says it was about the sixth hour and he knows that he's going to deliver him over and he knows that they're going to crucify. They're going to want him crucified. And that's where he says, behold your king. And then they cry out away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. I can't imagine being one of the Jews there and being so heartless. But I imagine that if I was a Jew of that time, I would have been doing exactly what they were doing. If nothing else, because that's, it's a mob-like mentality. <laughs> and also, Jesus probably would not have been the king I was hoping for. And I say that because I would love to say, oh, I, would have been, I wouldn't have been, one, I would have been one of the apostles. <laughs> I'd love to think that. But the reality is that a vast majority of people, almost all of the Jews, did not want Jesus as their king. So that's how Jesus is presented. And that's when, that's when they actually take him and they crucify him. And he has to bear his own cross and he goes to the place called Golgotha and they crucify him there with two others, one on each side. And in his place... Barabbas is released. You go back up to verse 40 of chapter 18. So he's, he's taking the place of a robber. He's taking the place of someone who actually stirred things up and caused problems for the city and for the government. But they take Jesus and they crucify him in his place. And he writes in, Pilate writes an inscription on the cross. Verse 19, it says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Verse 20 says, Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. I think, it, I think Pilate looks at him and thinks, There's something special about this man, and he might be king of the Jews. But king of the Jews is, is not that great of a king to Pilate. But they don't want him to be regarded as the actual king of the Jews. They want him to be regarded as that's the, that's the claim that got him here. 
He said he was king of the Jews. He put himself equal with God. That's why he's up there on the cross. But Pilate doesn't acquiesce to, to their request. All right. What I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to just go through a, a quick list of what people saw in Jesus, the way he's a different kind of king, and what our response needs to be. Imagine that you had Jesus presented to you the way Scripture's presented and said, Behold, your king. What would your response be? So the first thing I want to do is just take a look at the different things that they see in Jesus and things that we see about Jesus. The first thing is that, you know, Jesus can be controlled and put through the process. If you go back to chapter 18, look at verse 13. It says, They led him to Annas, for he was the father of Caiaphas. Um, and so Caiaphas was the, the, the high priest that year. Um, and then you go to over to verse 28. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. And then you go over to, chap- uh, to verse 33 of chapter 18. Pilate entered his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You go over to chapter 19 that we read in verse 5. Jesus comes out wearing these things. Verse 13, he goes back in to, uh, to Pilate's headquarters. They're just able to control Jesus. You're going to go here, then you're going to go there. You're going to talk to this guy and then that guy. And he's having to go through the same process that any person would have to go through. And maybe even more of a process. What kind of king is that? That he can be controlled in that way and put through this process. He should be above that. The next thing we see is that he's, he's seemingly disrespectful to the, uh, to the chief priests and these rulers. And really, he's beneath the rulers is how he's presented in, in beginning of verse 19 of chapter 18. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? You see how he's viewed? Jesus is viewed as being beneath the high priest. He's viewed as being disrespectful by saying, Go ask what I've said. I've already told you. You know what I've said. He's, he's almost presented as someone that's irreverent to the authorities above him. But then we see that he's actually subject to the judgment and put on trial. You get on verse 29. Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, he would have, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That's kind of a silly thing for them to say. It's not lawful for them to put someone to death the way they want to put Jesus to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So you see, they're judging Jesus. They're putting him through judgment. He's able to be put on trial. He can be hurt. And you know, one of the ideas about a king, someone that is like just above all, is you can't touch him. I mean, the whole thing with Pharaoh or uh, you go back to, to um, ancient Rome and, and the Caesar and everything. Like, they can't be touched, really. But Jesus can be. You go to verse 22 of chapter 18. 
And it said clearly that the officers struck him with his hand. Then we already read in chapter 19, verse 1, where they flog him. And then verse 3, where they strike him with their hands. Jesus can be heard. This Jesus that we say is our king, he can be hurt and he can be touched. And you really look at how they paint, how they bring him out. And the picture that they're painting is Jesus is basically made to be a mockery. So that's what people see in Jesus. At least in, in this instant. That's how he's viewed by people. So when, so when Pilate says, behold the man in verse 5, when he's led him out, think of all those things. That's what they've seen in this man. They've seen this man being drugged through the process. They've seen him being beaten. They've seen him being questioned. They've seen him um, being uh, accused of some things and all of that. Now, is that the king that you want? Is that the person that when Pilate says, behold the man, would that, would that cause you to say, Yes, that's, that's the Jesus I follow. That would be hard. That would be really hard to claim him in that moment. Because although he is considered righteous, he's not considered worthy of anything. He's actually considered worthless. They don't have anything against him that would cause him to be, well, he did this this one time, and he's unrighteous and he's wicked. What they're saying is he made himself equal with God. But in their eyes, he's unworthy of, of that title, unworthy of that position. And the reason that they view him this way is because he's just a different kind of king. Jesus Christ is not the king that they wanted. He's not the king that we would think of. If, if you go back and you were to read the story of Saul and David, back in the Old Testament. It's really interesting to see how the people loved how Saul looked. And I mean, he was the king that they wanted. And then David, was just, I, I don't know if he was, you know, really a runt, but he kind of was presented as a runt of a man compared to Saul. I mean, he couldn't even hold, the, hold his armor when he went out to fight Goliath. And yet that's God's anointed. That lets us know that God doesn't always deal with physical attributes and what we actually see with our eyes to judge who is worthy to be called king. God deals with who he deems worthy to be king. He deals with the heart of a person. He deals with who is truly righteous. Not just if someone's head and shoulders above someone else. Not just the strongest or anything. And and we'll bring that up a little bit more in, in, in a while. So Jesus is a different kind of king. Let's, let's go back, if you're still in John 18, let's look down to verse 33. We haven't read from 33. Read 33 through 36. Pilate enters his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this, out of, out of, you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? There's a lot of questions going on here. They're just one person answers with another question. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? 
Jesus is, is part of a greater and heavenly kingdom. So he's not the kind of earthly king that you would expect. The kingdom that he's part of is eternal and greater than anything we've ever seen. It's, it's beyond our very sight and comprehension. And that's why he's presented as a humble king that doesn't actually claim kingship even when he's asked. Oh, so you are a king. He said, well, you say I'm a king. The idea of someone being so humble that he's not even going to just come out and say, yeah, I'm a king. You're right. It's about time. It's about time you recognize that. That's not how Jesus is. And he's a king, but he's also not above the law. He actually kept the law, which sounds bizarre to me because I think of rulers as being above the law. And that's not how Jesus is. And we see that in 37 and 38, like we just read. He's greater. He has greater authority that doesn't compare to earthly authorities. When he's talking to Pilate and, and he says that you, you, don't, you wouldn't have authority unless it was given to you, what he's saying is that you don't even understand the authority that I have. You don't even understand how you have the authority that you have. He doesn't try to compete and show that he's better. He's not interested in, in proving his authority right now. He's just laying out the facts that, Pilate, you wouldn't have the authority unless it was given to you. This is not an instance where um, the people are going to be let out like in the days of Moses, where it was time for God to put on display that he was greater than Pharaoh and that, and that they needed to fear this God, the God of Israel. No, that, that's, that's not what it's time for. It's, not, it's actually not a time for him to be released. It's a time for him to be killed. So that's why he doesn't get into this competition with Pilate or even with the Jews. And then you think back to how Jesus even came into Jerusalem. He was led in on a cult and then eventually led to him being lifted up on a cross. You know, he didn't have the same pomp and show that most kings do or, or would desire. Although, I mean, he was recognized by many and they laid, they laid branches down and all of that. He didn't have a throne that, led, that they led him on to sit on. But a cross that he has to hang from. And he actually had to struggle to get to his cross. You know, most kings, when I think of the idea of a king that's going to his throne, um, if he's even having to walk himself to the, to the throne. It's just like a very graceful walk. On the way to his throne, Jesus stumbled and he had to bear a cross. On the way to his throne, he was mocked. And when, when everyone else in every other situation, if a king's on the way to the throne, you're quiet. You have reverence. People just despise him. So he struggles and he has to work hard to get to his throne instead of relax and just be served. So that's, that's our king. And there are a lot of other things that we can go to. We could go back to the fact that um, even when he was born, the wise men came and said that he was a king. How many people are said that they're a king from the time they're born? Usually, if, not, if at best, you're a prince. Jesus was king ever since he set foot on this earth. It just wasn't time for his kingdom yet. And when it's time for his kingdom and he invited people to come to his kingdom, that's when people started rejecting him and getting mad at him. That's when people started saying, you're not from God. You're not right. So that, 
That's the king that we serve. That's the king that we believe in. That's Jesus the king. So what would you do? What would you do if you were there in the crowd and you believed in Jesus and he was led out in all, with all the situations that we just went through and he looked the way he did. He had blood coming down from his head. He had this purple robe on. He, he's been beaten and he's bruised and all of that. And people are just booing him and spitting on him. What would you do if Pilate said, behold your king? Would you claim him as your king? I don't think I would in that moment. But I also don't think I would because I don't know if I would have known that he was a king. I don't think I would have believed it yet. Maybe I would have been like Peter and I would have denied it when they said, oh, you were with Jesus, right? Yeah, you, you, were, you, were, one of the, you were one of those with Jesus. But we don't need to deny him like Peter did. Now, he, Peter denied him before he, Pilate let him out, but he still denied him. When people questioned Peter, he denied him. And we see that in chapter 18, verses 17 through 27. He denied him three times. But no, what we need to do is we need to claim him. We need to confess him, that he is our king. So I want to I take a little bit of time just to think about how this applies to us today. Because we're not in a situation where Jesus is going to be led out with a crown of thorns on his head, with a purple robe around him, where he's been beaten and he's been just mocked. No, but we're presented with a a Jesus today where people do kind of scoff at, at this idea of Jesus being all, you know, the ruler and authority over our lives. And we do live in a time where there are a lot of ideas about Christianity and the kingdom we're a part of and thinking, that just sounds silly. That sounds silly you would believe that. That sounds silly you, wouldn't, you would be closed-minded about these things or you wouldn't be more tolerant of this or that. It sounds silly that you would restrict yourself in your life and not participate in some things that are just common. And there are a lot of examples that I could probably give, and maybe it would help. And if you want to talk about that another time, we can talk about that. I just don't think I have the time to to go through them all today. Um, But the truth is, when we're presented with, with that, do we claim Jesus as our king? Do we claim him and say, yeah, that's what I believe. Yeah, that's who my trust is in. That's who I believe in. That's who my whole faith is in. Is in this Jesus who is the ruler of my life. I remember when I was younger, always when I would go to the ballpark and play baseball. Um, or when I, I remember doing karate when I was younger and all that. Anytime I, there was a, like a bunch of kids and it was a competition, there were always these parents around that were... It was very obvious who their kids were. Uh, they would cheer when their, the team did good and everything, but really, when their kid did good, oh, they were, they were cheering a lot. Or if their kid did bad, they were yelling at their kid a lot. I was at the ballpark a couple of weeks ago watching a friend of mine. His, his boy was, was playing, and um, I didn't hear anyone go crazy there, which I was surprised by because maybe parents are more tame now. I don't know, or maybe they just are afraid of repercussions of getting too agitated or fired up about sports. I don't know. But I remember when I was younger that no matter where you were, maybe it was an auditorium, maybe it was whatever the accomplishment was, that there's always, there were always people shouting out, claiming, like, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my girl. Because they're so proud. 
And there were other people who were saying, come on, you got to do better. What are you thinking? That's not what we talked about. All of that as well. Would you be one that proudly claims that Jesus is your king when he's presented the way he is in the scripture? And when he's presented in your life and when you're faced with having to claim him as the authority and ruler of your life, do you claim Jesus as your king? Without hesitation. Or do you make excuses? Or do you complain? I want to go over to John 12 for a second. Because this isn't the only time that, that people wanted to see Jesus and people saw Jesus a certain way. So some Greeks in John 12 want to see Jesus. It's really the same word as the behold word that we looked at in John 19. So they come and they say in, in verse 21, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So when they want to see Jesus, this is how Jesus responds. He says that it's, it's about time for him to be glorified. He says it's about time for him to die. It's coming up soon. So seeing Jesus also means we see ourselves differently. Because we see Jesus and we see what he was going to go through. And then he flips it and he immediately says, Instead of like, well, this is what you need to see in me, he says, this is what you need to see in you. That if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you hate your life, you'll gain eternal life. Seeing Jesus as he is leads us to loving this life less to the point that we don't live for this life, but we live for the one that's to come. Seeing Jesus like he is, seeing him as our king, leads us to following him wherever he is and serving him totally with our life. Understanding that the Father will reward like he says there in John 12. There's one other passage I want to go to, and it's in Acts chapter 2. So, so far, I hope what we've been able to see is that Jesus wasn't the king that people expected, and he, he wasn't really presented as a, as a king that any of us would, would want to claim. And in our lives, there are times where we might not want to claim him. But what I want to show is I want to show in Acts chapter 2, what gives this power and, and what the, the reason that we should really claim him for who he is, and that's king, Lord of lords and king of kings. We're going to begin in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. 
You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So who is this king and the Lord that will save, like you mentioned in verse 21 as he's quoting from Joel? Well, he's real and he's known. He was witnessed. He was beheld. He's confirmed and he was anointed by God. He is the fulfillment of all that was promised and all that they hoped for. He did works and wonders and signs, yet he was killed unjustly. However, he rose above all powers. Death, is, death itself was powerless over him. So the conviction and the confidence that we have when claiming Jesus our King is found in the resurrection. It's found in the fact that although he was presented as a king and then he died, that he actually proved that he was the king. That he was the Son of God. That he was the Son of Man that was promised. Because he was raised from the dead. It's helpful to see how different Jesus is as a king and what his kingdom is really about. But without the resurrection, he's a king like David. He's a king that died and was buried and his tomb is still with us. But that's not Jesus. He's greater. He's greater in a way that's never been seen. So Jesus is the promised king and rules the only kingdom that is eternal. And when they're presented with this, they ask, well, what should we do? When they're presented with who Jesus is, they ask this question. What should we do? Because they're convicted of their sin. Because they're convicted as putting this king to death. Well, we should be just as convicted by our sin. Because although we didn't shout crucify, crucify, and I think I've said this before, I hate the idea of this because I don't want to believe it's true, but my sin is what caused Jesus to go to the cross. Your sin did that. I didn't have to be there shouting crucify. I didn't ha- I have to be there saying away with him. I didn't have to be there beating him and spitting on him and mocking him. He didn't go to the cross for that. He went to the cross for sin. And it was the sin of all of us. Will you be convicted enough to ask the question, what should I do? Well, what Peter tells these people is that they need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But maybe we've already done that. So maybe what we need to do is we need to just claim Christ in our life on a daily basis, that we take up our cross and we follow him, that we serve, that we live not for this life, but we hate this life and we live for the one that's to come. But it might be that that you're here and you've never actually confessed him as King and Lord. And if that's true, then you you need to do that because this is the king of all kings. This is the Lord 
of an eternal kingdom that we long to look forward to. This is the only king that we have. The only true king that we have. There's no other king that we can wait for that's going to somehow be another person sent from God that's going to be the king that we really wanted to see. Jesus is it. So will you confess him? Will you claim, in, claim him in your life? And when we're presented with the, the situation where someone's like, oh, is that who you believe in? Is, is, that, is that the king you serve? Is that this Jesus? Then instead of saying crucify him, crucify him, then we claim him and say, yes, that's my king. That's my king. Proudly say that he is our Lord and our God. What we need to do is we need to submit ourselves to King Jesus and we need to place we need to have a place in his kingdom where God is on the throne. But we only have that if we bow the knee before him. We only do that if we confess him and if we claim him as our king and as our Lord. And I don't know everyone's situation here. But I know that there are probably some who need to do that potentially for the first time. And I, and I feel very confident that all of us need to do a better job. We, we, can, we can improve in how fervently we claim Jesus as our king. Whether that means we change our lives or whether that means we have conversations with people or we don't back down from conversations with people. Whatever it is, you need to claim Jesus as your king. And I hope that some of the things we looked at are are helpful and challenging. And if you feel challenged because Jesus isn't presented the way that you would like him to be presented, I'd like to talk with you about that. There are other people that would like to talk to you about that. Because if you're hoping for another, then you're going to be waiting for forever. This is, the, this is the king that God has for us. It's his son, the only begotten. And he is the Christ and he's the lamb of God. And if you want to be in him and you want to submit to him and you need some help with that, we'd love to help you with that. If you have a need, we have a time where we sing a song. It's, it's meant to be a song of encouragement so that we reflect on our lives given the things we've talked about. But if you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody around you or even come talk to me, whether it's during the song or afterwards, we want to help you. No matter your situation, we would love to, to be there for you. If you have any, won't you let us know as we stand and as we sing.